Hello and welcome to another episode of the Coda Career Podcast uh, with myself, Cameron Blackwood. Those of you who are not familiar, I'm an ex-technical recruiter who has now become a software engineer and I've created this podcast so that I can show my experience with both sides of the table and interview some guests from all over the industry to help you break into and subsequently level up in the tech industry. Now, my guest today, Joe, is a highly experienced recruiter who's recruited people internationally into a wide variety of tech roles, and he'll have some fantastic insight for you if you're either trying to get that first job in tech or you're trying to level up and climb up the ladder um, into a new role. So uh, without further ado, Joe, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, love to. Yeah, appreciate you having me on, Cam. Thanks very much. Delighted to be here, actually. Like I said to you, offline is normally me on the other side actually doing the interview, (laughs) so this is quite refreshing. So um, my name is Joe Bignall. I've worked in the recruitment industry for 11 years now. Um, the last three and a half or four have been spent at Interquest Group, headquartered out of London, recruiting, like Cam said, into the tech market, not just in the UK, but uh, the US, Europe as well. Um, so we've got a global reach. I actually spoke to you for the first time when I was trying to um, recruit for your business when you were still on the <laughs> recruitment side, Cam, right? Yeah, exactly. So when I was doing my stint as an internal recruiter, uh, we uh, that's how we met. I was working for an AI startup and uh, we didn't have the budget to use external recruiters at the time. But I always remember that you uh, you made sure to call in every month. We just usually end up chatting about Arsenal uh, and how miserable <laughs> it was. <laughs> yeah, well, And unfortunately, some things never change. Yeah, <laughs> Recording this yeah, after well. the 2-0 loss uh, to, uh, to Brentford. So the less said about that, the better. Yeah, moving on. <laughs> cool. Um, so, should, should we kick off some quick fire questions? It's a kind of good way to, to to warm up a little bit. So, what what what's your first memory with computer? What what was your first computer uh, that you used? Oh, it was when I was in sixth form, and my mum and dad bought me an Advent laptop. This thing that took ages to fire up, and it was still on the old BT modem. That dial-up, um, that <laughs> dial-up sound is sound of my early childhood. That uh, I'm not even going to try and imitate it, where it's getting <laughs> yeah. 56 kilobits down. I mean, I've been really fed up because I've just moved into a new flat and I only get 30 megabits down. Like it, it's <laughs> times change. Yeah, I think I had something similar. Sixth form, yeah, and I used that for I think the best part of about five years. So I persevered with it and, and made do with it. That was my first ever one. Oh, nice. Yeah, I had some uh, absolutely brick-thick uh, Acer laptop, and I absolutely loved that thing. And uh, it, it, it must have been awful. I think it had like about a gigabyte of RAM. It was terrible. It took about 10 minutes to load up, but a lot of fond memories of doing stuff like playing Football Manager uh, 2007 That's on there it. and that kind of thing. <laughs> indestructible, those things. Oh, yeah, absolutely indestructible. Nothing like the ones today. You could chuck it down a flight of stairs and it'd be fine. It's like the old Nokia phones. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cool. And uh, what's your favourite tech city in the world? Because obviously you already mentioned you've recruited internationally. Yeah, good question. I think it's, do you know what, honestly, it's probably got to be one of the Scandinavian ones just because, you know, you hear a lot about um, tech cities like Berlin and like London and like Barcelona even. But when it comes to Scandinavia, I just think they've, when it comes to tech, they're doing so, so many cool things and so many diverse things. I mean, health tech is obviously a big part of the Scandinavian ecosystem spotify obviously is a huge one that we all know and i just think they've got some of the most beautiful scenery as well so for work-life balance scandinavian market for me 
Yeah, I've heard great things, and that is really uh, I've noticed a trend towards Stockholm and Copenhagen in particular. Mm. Uh, it, it's it's stuff is really moving towards there, and the Spotify effect is huge. But like you say, the healthcare startup scene is really exciting, and uh, I've noticed. I'm sure we'll get on to this, but I, I've noticed a lot of uh, London-based recruiters have rapidly started opening up a Scandinavian division, and that's usually a sign uh, that things are going well. Um, cool. And are you are you more of a music or a podcast man when you're working, or do you prefer complete silence? No, cannot work in silence. No, I hate it. Uh, I definitely am music when I'm working, but if I'm out on a run or a, or a walk or whatever, it'll be a podcast. A related question. What what was the last thing you played on Spotify? Oh no, it's going to be embarrassing because my <laughs> missus had the control of the uh, Spotify today. Let me check. What was it? If it's I only was... consolation, I had UK Garage on all afternoon. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, mine was Chris Brown and Tiger Deuces. Uh, it's, it's not a bad song. I like, yeah, like a bit right. of Tiger. Yeah. yeah <laughs> that takes right. me back to the early 2010s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. I, I cannot work in silence. Yeah, I'm I'm the same. I can't do it. Even if it's instrumental music, that's fine. But yeah, yeah. I, I just can't can't do it. Um yeah. Uh, also, as well, similarly, are you, are you? Do you find you do your work early? Are you are you an early riser or more of a night owl? Definitely an early bird. Yeah, definitely an early bird. Yeah, I'm up at about six ish, even if I don't start work for a couple of hours, just to sort of get the brain engaged and have my coffee and um, get the day going. I saw. Do you know what it is? Since I've been working from home as well, I sort of, you know, when you're in the office, you kind of have an hour's lunch break and then you crack on again. But now I'm kind of extending my lunch and working a bit later into the day, so. It's kind of like breaking the day out. I've got a big chunk in the morning, nice couple of hours at lunchtime to do some downtime and then some admin and then crack on again in the afternoon. So it's changed a bit actually in the last 18 months. Mm, yeah, it's definitely so much better to have that extra time in the morning. I mean, I, I can't claim to be getting up at six. I'd be a liar if I, if, I, if, I, if I said I did. But just having that extra bit of time, I was very much when I was still working in the office, uh, the kind of guy who was leaving the flat at eight twenty-eight with toothpaste stains on his t-shirt and that kind of thing. I'm not the best in the mornings. I'm much more of a night owl. So work from home has been an absolute blessing for me because I can actually get up and have a bit of time before I get anything done. Um, so it's such a yeah. common theme amongst programmers and software engineers that they're more they go longer into the night and then it takes yeah. them a couple of hours in the morning to get going. Yeah, that that's a funny thing you say that actually because I've having been on both sides doing the sales and recruitment and doing doing the programming, definitely that is a really interesting observation. There's more early birds on the sales side and much more night hours on the uh, on the technical side. I don't it's know. There's probably some sales to get to the pub at five o'clock. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> you might have cracked it there, but then that also harms the the early bird theory because if you're waking up feeling a bit groggy, but maybe you just want to get it out of your system. So, no, oh, no, we're used to it. We're hardened. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Spe- speaking of, because um, this could potentially be a cure for um, for feeling a bit ill the next morning. Are you are you a coffee or tea? Coffee all day long. Yeah, I, I'm the yeah. same. Potentially Red Bull, depending on the kind of morning it's been. But yeah, coffee yeah. and Red Bull in one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. turbo coffee got, got to be the way um yeah. and final question if you weren't working in the world of recruitment what do you think you'd be doing definitely something within sport like a pt working in a gym definitely something within sport yeah nice yeah i've um it's always a common theme with people working in recruitment and sales and and, and love the sport i think it's because of the competitive drive and loving the uh, loving smashing the targets is definitely uh, definitely a common theme I, I've found. Um, yeah. It's always always good uh, always good sports chat in the recruitment office. 
Oh, absolutely, yeah. Well, like you said, you know, I used to just chat about Arsenal all the time, so that's yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, so, uh, kind, of, kind of going on to more long, longer, uh, kind of longer answers here. What, what actually led you to the technical recruitment industry? How, how did you end up working here? You, you've worked in it for, for quite a while now. Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> typical answer: nine times out of ten, you'll hear this is that you know I just fell into recruitment back in two thousand and ten when I was on the football pitch, actually. Um, one of the lads in front of me was talking to someone else about recruitment and I'd literally just come out of college and started a two-year university course and I thought, oh, that sounded pretty good. So the short story is I dropped out after three weeks of uni and and started in recruitment and um, initially I just sort of loved the lifestyle because this is back in 2010, so I was only 20 and um, just the lifestyle of, you know, the sales environment is a buzzing environment. I've never been in an office before, so that was pretty cool. And then I guess, you know, the commission that was coming in as well. But it was more about just the camaraderie and the banter that you'd have between all the boys in the office. I'd never really experienced that before. And then I was hooked straight away. Um, But that wasn't tech. That was, well, kind of tech. It was telecommunications. So that was not that far removed from tech, but still different enough. And then I stayed in telecoms for eight years, eight and a half years, telecoms recruitment. And it was always contractors into Europe. So that was the market that I did. And then since joining Interquest nearly four years ago, completely moved left field and went into software development, which is obviously where I started talking to you. And, you know, it's a completely different market, completely different kettle of fish in terms of the world um, that you're recruiting into and the type of people you're talking to. So I'll be in tech recruitment for a long, long time. I guess as you get older as well, your kind of priorities change, you know, so... Now I'm looking to leave a lasting impression on everyone that I work with, whether it's a candidate, a client, whether it's doing a podcast like this, kind of thinking about these types of things. Whereas before, it was more about thinking about the lifestyle, thinking about, you know, having a good time in the office and having that commission that came in. You kind of think about the future a bit more now and the way you conduct business has changed. So that's what led me to it and that's what kept me there. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I've noticed, I mean, I left the recruitment industry in... Well, I left the agency in the, uh, agency side in 2017, uh, and I'd already know. But even by that point, I noticed the culture in general shifting away from as fun as the camaraderie and trying to hit those commission targets is. I noticed that a lot more recruiters uh, really marketing themselves as like long lasting partnerships and socially responsible and, and that kind of thing. So it, it's really interesting to to see how it shifted in in such a short amount of time, and it it, it is very interesting. I mean. I guess for our, particularly for our non-UK listeners, because the UK is very much the centre of the recruitment market, can you explain what the difference is between someone who works for a recruitment agency and someone who works directly for a company like an, like an external versus internal recruiter model? Yeah, I mean, I've never done internal, but I've worked with plenty of internal recruiters as a partner. I guess the biggest difference for me would be like the hunt, the hunt of new business, you know, like the thrill of the chase and the high you get, or certainly the high that I get when I sign with a new client or I start placing candidates into a new client and get to meet people you've never met before for a coffee or for a beer or you take them out um, and you just meet a bunch of new people for the first time. I guess that's, that's for me the biggest difference. Internal, you probably speak on this more than me can, but internal I believe is more about nurturing the relationships within that business. And then, you know, you've got a job to identify what each different, line manager responds to you know and how they work and how they like to review candidates and what kind of pressure points to push so it's more about being ingrained in the culture when you're an internal 
um, and being a larger part of the the cell, you know, like the culture cell mm-hmm. when chatting to candidates. Whereas I think external for me is very much, you know, like the hunt and the thrill of the chase. Um, so my job is 360. So 360 basically means um, candidates and clients. So I'm picking up business and I'm also filling the roles rather than just doing one or the other. And that's what I've always done. Yeah. So it's uh, for, for, for doing that, it's quite tricky to be able to balance doing the doing the sales side and having to recruit. So it's, it's a tricky job doing 360. So, uh, but a rewarding one, I bet, especially when you land someone a really good new opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like it's, um, it's definitely a, a long-term gain as well, you know, because if you're building relationships with um, a startup and then in a year's time, they've raised a series B or a series C and now they're going to a scale up and you were one of the first people in there to recruit for them, they'll take you along with that journey. You don't, you know, even if you're, you're an external, you get to go and meet them. You get to go out with the team. Um, you get invited to like Christmas parties. So I think it's definitely more of a long-term gain as well, and especially candidates. I mean, you could have a, you could place a candidate one day as a software developer, and then in a year's time, he's now an engineering manager, and it could turn into a hiring manager for you into a new business, you know? So there's all these different possibilities you need to think of. And it goes back to what I was saying in your earlier question about leaving a lasting impression on everyone that you work with. So it will come back to you in some way, shape or form. Yeah, you, you never know. So even, even though it's such a big industry, it's also a small industry uh, uh, on, on the country at the same time because everyone seems to know each other and the recruitment industry and the tech industry work so well and people like to stick with the partners they know. I mean, we've probably known each other for, um, must be getting on four years, maybe three years. And it, it, that, that's actually a relatively short amount of time in terms of recruitment partnership. So, yeah, it's, it's, an, interesting, uh, it's an interesting one and it, it, it's, it's a tricky job. And it's interesting what you say about the in, internal side of things. And it is very much about managing uh, your internal hiring managers as clients. I never really recruited for any large organizations internally myself. I, I, I worked as a consultant, as a firefighter, basically, for startups. Uh, they would call me and say, look, Cam, when we're a year behind the recruitment, we need 10 DevOps engineers in three months. Just please do what you can. Oh, mate, I know uh, that well. <laughs> yeah, so it's one where you're just sort of smashing LinkedIn. And um, it, it's funny because it's still, a, it's, it's still a sales role, but it's almost an internal sales role in a weird way because you're trying to get the candidates uh, to sell themselves properly and you're battling against competing offers where you don't really know what's going on on the other side. So it's, um, it, it's a strange one. And I, I do sometimes miss uh, the how dramatic things would get, but then I remember my heart rate as well. So probably a good thing <laughs> mate well you see this on my wrist i've got the whoop here i know the people listen oh, okay. to see it but i've got the whoop and it tracks your heart rate heart rate variability and you can you know track all sorts on it. it's pretty cool and um yeah when you're like on the edge of a deal coming in and it's the last day of the month and you need it to hit your quota your your heart rate does go up a little bit yeah <laughs> <laughs> i've had my um i have a fitbit and i've had that on during certain like sports matches and it is funny to watch it spike uh when when i'm just and um any interest of clarity i mean when i'm sitting on my sofa watching the sport not when i'm playing and <laughs> Just watching it spike at certain points, like I don't know, I don't know if you're a rugby man, but during the last, uh, during the recent Lions tour, it spiked through the roof in the last ten minutes, and it is, uh, <laughs> it's funny, it's an effective way to burn calories. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I guess going back to um, going back to the uh, dealing with the tense situations, has there been anything like uh, crazy that you've had to manage? Like, has a candidate ever done something outrageous? I mean, just give you an example. I, I once had. When I recruited graduates, uh, I once had someone call in, tell me 
his grandmother had died and then called me in the afternoon and said that actually she was fine and he could still go to the interview because obviously he just had blown off some other uh, other interview. So I, I had some corkers working grad recruitment specifically because uh, the lies would be outrageous. Have you ever had anything um, ridiculous happen like that? Yeah, I mean, similar similar lines to you as well there, mate, where people have said they've been in like a really bad car accident or, you know, they, they're unavailable now because they've had a really bad injury. And then you find out further down the line, like literally a couple of days later, that they just started at one of the competitor companies that I was interviewing for. Yeah. And it's just, it's just a crock. But yeah, I've had a few of those. Um, I mean, difficult candidates come, come with the territory, but difficult clients come with the territory as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, in terms of uh, candidate story, I mean, one of the best stories I ever had, memories that I've got, is um, sent the candidate to a role and he just ghosted me. Just couldn't get hold of him because he got an interview request. And I couldn't get hold of him. Could not get hold of him on the phone, text, send a pigeon, you know, email. You couldn't get hold of this guy for anything. Um, and then the client emailed me a couple of days later, said, oh, yeah, we had a great interview with the candidate. Um, we want to take him through to a second stage. And this carried on. I just could not get hold of the candidate, but he was in touch with the client directly. Turned out that like, a week's gone by, and I'm just, I've written this off now. I can't get hold of this guy. He's non committal. Just, he's gone. It's, it's off my book. Client emails are saying, Yeah, we've had a couple of good interviews with him. We'd like to make him an offer. <laughs> <laughs> so I've then tried to call him to extend the offer. Cannot get through to him. Just ghosted me again. The guy is just impossible to get hold of. I've had to go back to the client and explain it. They've emailed me saying, yeah, he's got the contract, he's signed it, he's starting with us next week. <laughs> so the whole process, yeah. whole process was managed by the candidate and the client, and I'm in the dark thinking, oh, it's not going to come through. And then you get like a 10 grand fee land on your desk out of nowhere. So it would be the best job in the world. If, if, if you could do that, if just all the, all the clients and the candidates manage your own process and you just uh, sit back, become the matchmaker. It's, uh, I forget who that, what the name of that uh, super agent is. Um, who represents like Ronaldo and all that. It's like, it would be like oh, that, but you're George sitting Mendes. back. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, <laughs> just sitting back and watching the deals roll in. That would be, uh, oh, God, that would yeah. be the life. Yeah, if you could get Imagine. a piece of every every deal going on in uh, the London tech scene, it'd be uh, absolutely sorted. Don't um, get me wrong, it was great when it came in and landed on my desk and then we got the PO sent through. But that whole sort of week, week and a half, I'm sitting there sort of putting my air out thinking, is this guy going to go in? Is it not? I've got budgets to hit. You know what I mean? You want to know how much your figures are and... <laughs> It's it's so stressful, yeah. Um, I I did a lot of um I did a lot of recruiting in Germany when I when I was doing the external recruitment. So a lot of time there's a language barrier there as well. So sometimes it could be really confusing. Um, if I uh, I wouldn't know what was going on with my processes uh, because my German is awful and it was under it was my obligation to try and speak German, but sometimes stuff really would slip through the cracks. So yeah. it was very um yeah it was quite tricky. Um, and I guess speaking to that, if we're talking about standing out in a positive way, uh, what are some things that maybe someone's listening, they're trying to get their first or maybe their second job in tech? Uh, as a seasoned recruiter, what, what are some things you look out for on a CV? Because I guess particularly for the junior roles, you probably get quite a lot more applications than you would for a senior role. Is there anything you, you see that, think, uh, that makes you sit up and think, right, I need to speak to this person? Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at you know, CV after CV, first of all, you want to you read it and see how it's written if they talk about themselves in a, a certain way, if they're actually highlighting that they've got a really, really active GitHub already, you know, that obviously goes a long way. Um, if they're talking about some of the tech stack they're working with and it's quite modern, that'll go a long way. So I can speak about Kubernetes 
I can speak about cloud native, Terraform, Docker. I can talk about those tech because that's the tech that I recruit for. So if I'm looking at a CV for me specifically, and I'm seeing a modern tech stack with somebody that's maybe like a year or two's experience and already working with these cloud technologies, I think that's going to make them stand out as well. I think, I think you know, it's up to a candidate as well to clearly show why they're why they could be a good hire. So I don't mean going to the lengths of the earth to write a good cover sheet, but you know, showing some creativity on the CV, and you know, have some personal projects that are written in GoLang or Python, or bring something to the table that that not everyone else is bringing. Yeah, absolutely. There's very much a mold and uh, it's almost like one of those sort of starter pack memes where uh, these uh, junior candidates will, they'll all have like the same three or four personal projects. And I always say to people when they come to me for advice about this is you need to think about a problem you have in your own life right now and then develop some kind of solution for it. It doesn't have to be fully fledged. And if you write that in, in with modern tooling in, in with the tools that you want to get a job in, that's the best way forward. And you're mentioning a lot of the DevOps tools and DevOps is just, it's unlike any market right now, the way, the way it's heating up, aside from maybe machine learning, there's nothing like it in terms of the demand and the growth of vacancies. And, you know, if you're, if you're sort of listening right now and thinking what, what sector within the, engineering industry should I, should I get into DevOps is uh, it was one of those things I didn't fully understand when I was a recruiter because I didn't really recruit for DevOps but working as an engineer now I, I just see the work DevOps engineers do and it, it, it they're absolutely critical to any even startup sized organization it just makes life so much easier yeah DevOps can be a bit of a minefield though because DevOps to five people you'd get five definitions mm. about what DevOps is you know you could be um coming from a Linux infrastructure background. You could be a software developer that knows how to maintain his own code. You know, you could be someone that's actually a site reliability engineer, but they're just calling it a DevOps engineer because it's more of a popular job title. So it is a bit of a minefield, um, but I do agree. Yeah, I think that, that DevOps is, I mean, it's my market, right? So I, I definitely yeah. know that it, it's blowing up. I definitely know that it will blow up. But I do get a little bit worried when a client says, all right, I need 10 DevOps engineers. My first first response is okay do you like what, <laughs> what are these what are these guys actually going to be doing for you what's what's the plan and then a lot of the times you know it could be all right we actually need three or four third line infrastructure engineers that know how to work with the devs and with the ops and then that know how to basically be a project coordinator all right fine but you're calling it a devops engineer so um yeah definitely devops if you're you know if you're green and you're going into this with your eyes wide open and you've got all avenues to explore I definitely say DevOps. Yeah, it's it's a very it's a very important point you raise as well is to not always uh, sort of judge a book by its cover in the sense of um, people might say something is a DevOps job and actually it may well just be like an old school sysadmin or or even um, third line support. Like, not that there's anything wrong with doing those roles, but it's not really what modern cloud uh, DevOps kind of is. Uh, and it's definitely worth really digging down and for a candidate asking the questions and um, making sure that if you're working with an external recruiter that, that they uh, that they know kind of what's going on, which is quite a good segue actually into what I wanted to ask you about. Obviously, you've worked with uh, tons of people who are also um, external recruitment consultants. How, how can a software professional of any level tell if they should work with a particular partner or, or not because it's very much a partnership and if you work well with a with a partner as you said before you can play someone again and again and use them to hire um what what should people look for 
I definitely feel that there's a lot to be said about the way that recruiters engage on social media at the moment. Um, I mean, I don't know what you was like, Cameron, you was on the recruitment side, but you don't, you don't see every recruiter using LinkedIn or Twitter or Slack or being that active on social media. I'm the complete opposite. I think that, you know, every good recruiter should be active on social media because you want to be engaging as possible with, with your network, right? Your clients and your candidates, not just one or the other. If you're constantly in someone's face on social media, you know, with content, like relevant content, not just talking about what you've had for lunch or whatever, but with relevant content. So for me, I'll be posting about Kubernetes, I'll be posting about meetups, I'll be posting about all that good stuff in the DevOps world. I think that's someone that, that knows their market because if you don't, you're going to get found out pretty quickly on social media if you're just waffling about something you don't really know much about. So you really want to go to a recruiter that that has a bit of a bit of knowledge behind them and a bit of a bit of weight behind whatever they're talking about. Um, and also as well, I mean, the recruitment industry gets a bad rep, as as everyone knows. That's not a secret. I think the, the basic stuff gets forgotten about. So if a candidate's in a process with you and you know you're not giving them feedback, even if you don't have feedback yourself, you know you still give them a call or drop them an email or a text and just say, look, no feedback yet, just keeping them engaged, just so they know that they're not chucking their CV in an air. They're one of 20, especially if you're new as well, going into this industry, it's yeah. tough. You just want feedback. You want to know why you're not getting picked. You want to know why you're not getting picked for interviews. You want to know why you're failing your interviews. And when you've got 10 interviews and not one of them's coming back to you on feedback, it can be quite demoralizing. So I think a good recruiter will always give you constant feedback, good or bad. They won't show away from it if you get rejected. Yeah, exactly. Even even a call to say no news uh, is a lot of the best recruiters I, I used to work with. Um, I, in fact, one of the companies I worked with was kind of right in the middle of being external internal. It was like a recruitment software platform. And we would have uh, what we call talent advocates. So basically people that worked with the candidates through their process. Uh, and it was the ones that always did the best were the ones that would call their candidates just say, look, I don't have any news right now, um, but here's what's going on. And it's just keeping people uh, in the open about, about what's going on. And I think that the more open a recruiter is with you, the better chance there is that they're someone to work with. Because even if they don't have a perfect opportunity right now, they're the kind of person you want to work with down the line. You absolutely don't want to end up ghosting uh, or, 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 or that kind of thing. And the sort of person that were, say, if you're a junior, they, they can't necessarily help you get a job immediately, but at least if they give you some advice and that kind of thing then they're the kind of person you're going to want to work with down the line. You don't want to work with people that ignore your messages first off. And then in three years time, they're all over you because they have a job now that you can fill. Um, it, it, now that you're a mid-level dev and you've done all yeah. the hard work yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Even if, you know, you just need to give them a time of the day because InterQuest is good in that sense, because even if I don't necessarily recruit people that are entry level or juniors, InterQuest is such a big organization that where we have a number of different departments whereby, you know, I've got 15 colleagues as a part of the InterQuest group who only recruit entry level people into the software world and only recruit second jobbers into software dev environments. So just to say, look, I don't have anything for you, but reach out to these guys and they'll definitely have something for you. Even that can literally change someone's year because they can get an interview, they can get a job, they can actually get spoken to properly on a level where they know there's a real job at the end of it rather than just fobbed off. Yeah, absolutely. And that's fantastic that InterQuest has a team dedicated to working with entry level and, and second jobbers. And, you know, if I if I owned a recruitment agency, I would definitely try and do the same thing because working and investing in someone early in their career, you know, 
they might not be the biggest deal sizes in the world, but down the line, it, it provides a great relationship as well because the company that you're recruiting them into will also need more senior people down the line. And um, that, that's really awesome to hear uh, that, that, that that's going on. And mm. I think that's really good. I mean, re- related to that as well, we, we're talking about the amount of vacancies uh, that, that we have. And it's a worldwide issue, but particularly in the UK, and there's been a lot of discussion um, uh, recently about the technical skills gap we, we have in this country. We have... Um, we have so many unfilled vacancies and the number keeps going up and up in tech. I've, I, I, this must be a high estimate, but I heard apparently up to 500,000 uh, tech vacancies uh, would be available, but we don't have the people for them. Um, that oh, seems really? r- remarkably high to me and I'm not sure I believe it, um, but it, whatever wh- whatever it is, we know a lot. there's a lot of roles out there for people. What, what do you think we can do in terms of both public policy um, companies can do uh, to encourage more young people to skill up, get into tech, and and uh, you know enjoy and reap the rewards of what is both a quite uh, intrinsically and and extrinsically rewarding uh, industry to work in. Yeah, well, I think you know you alluded to it at the start there, didn't you? This this is like a global crisis. You know, obviously there's a there's something going on in the UK where there's a skills gap, but there's a skills gap everywhere. If I'm recruiting for a company in Boston. There's a skills gap. If I'm recruiting for someone in Frankfurt, there's a skills gap. Um, I mean, the UK, if I'm being completely honest, I don't feel is in that bad of a situation right now. You know, there's a lot of movement within software at the moment. Obviously, you know, Brexit and the uncertainty around um, foreign talent, whether they could stay, whether or not, people were just getting um, frustrated with the lack of communication. So the left IR35 has obviously caused a lot of that as well. Oh, yeah. The changes in the, the contract. Yeah, that thing that we've forgotten about. So that's obviously coming now. And um, honestly, Cam, the amount of people that, that were contractors that were being forced to go inside R35, rightly or wrongly, I don't know. But they were saying, do you know what? I'm just going to retire. <laughs> and they're not even at retirement age, but they were literally that annoyed with the whole process that they were just retiring. So that's obviously caused a bit more of a gap than, than what was there before as well. But when you look at the, the tech economy in the uk i mean did you see the thing about revolut this week i didn't actually know what 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 was it so revolut have have just been valued at 33 billion dollars last month so that's that's london's or that's britain's most highly valued private company so it's obviously a london-based company so when when you got stories like that coming out you know that does wonders for the uk economy because when, when Brexit was around and with all these negative things about the UK being said over the last five years, you know, and then you've got this story about Revolut, that's going to obviously draw people in um, to want to join tech because, you know, it's a cool place to work. The world's shifted where you don't have to do a nine to five Monday to Friday in London anymore or Manchester or wherever you are. You know, you can you can wear your jeans and trainers in the office. It's a cool, it's a cool job, you know. And I think with with the Revolut story and with a number of other stories that have come out about the UK startup scene, it's only going to sort of attract more people in. I mean, something that Interquest are doing, which is pretty cool, and I mentioned to it a moment ago, was about the the graduate scheme, but also the second jobless scheme as well. The second jobless scheme, they don't have to be people that are, are in software development for a year and then lost their job because of COVID or whatever, which is part of it, but that's not all of it. You know, these guys can be doing whatever, you know, they could, they could have like a, a five or six year career in whatever industry. But what Interquest are doing is we're putting them on our payroll and we're actually training them in Java, in Python, in Golang. Okay. We're training them in, in JavaScript and then we're redeploying them 
Um, and these aren't graduates, you know, there's a second job as they've got that little bit more life experience behind them, which means a lot to some employers, but their first job is in the sense of software development. So Interquest are doing that and then we put them on site at large corporate clients as well to be able to increase the amount of software devs they've got on site. Yes, with juniors, but at the same time, it's getting more people into the tech scene. That, so that is Interquest, really interesting, yeah. Yeah, well, if Interquest are doing that, you, you know that other businesses are doing that as well. So, you know, there are schemes going on like that. Um, it's a pretty successful scheme, as you could probably imagine, with Interquest. We've been doing it now for the best part of a year. And... Um, I mean, the skills gap is always going to be there because the rate of development and digital transformation that's going on at the moment, mate, is so tough to keep up with that there's always going to be a skills gap, in my opinion. But it's just about how companies best kind of mitigate that with putting the right people in the right jobs. How many times do you hear someone's not passed their probation? Yeah. Um, that's obviously going to cause uh, like a knock-on effect across the tech industry as well, where people are just bouncing around from job to job, never really settle anywhere, which means they never really make a big impact or a difference at the company they're at because they're not there for long enough. And then they decide it's not for them. That's the problem. Yeah, exactly. And some of the best coders and some of the best software engineers in this country were contractors, right? Not they're, They're not the best, but some of the best were contractors is what I'm saying. So when you've kind of burnt bridges with those guys now by making them go inside IR35, they're, they're kind of disillusioned with it. And that's obviously caused a bit of an issue as well. So look, IR35 is not going to be reversed because it's too far gone now. But I mean, this is a conversation, wider conversation to have. But I just think the skills gap isn't, I don't think, as, as bad as what, what it's played out to be. I just feel like there's there are certain gaps that can be plugged, but it's just about you know refining interview processes, actually defining what your infrastructure looks like and what you want to do in, in 12 to 18 months' time. So, I mean, there's schemes out there, but yeah, it's, it's, mm. there's always going to be a skills gap, mate. Yeah, I, that's very true. And I mean, I guess when you have in any industry that's kind of uh, experiencing runaway growth, it, it's inevitable. And uh, But that, that is really great about the second jobbers because when you first mentioned it, I assume that just meant maybe someone who... Uh, was going on to a second job in tech. But the fact that, you know, you're putting them on payroll, supporting them, that's exactly the kind of policy uh, that works because people that are getting back into, maybe getting back into tech after uh, starting a family, uh, getting back into the uh, any industry after starting a family or, mm. you know, losing a job in recently stuff like hospitality that's gone down because of COVID. Um, it, it's it's a great kind of step forward. And I, I think more more of those schemes like that would be would be great, and more people taking up apprenticeships um, after leaving school and that sort of thing would be a great way to uh, fill the skills gap. But yeah, it's like it's like you say, the crisis is um, whether it's crisis at all is is obviously debatable. But then uh, it's it's definitely easier to solve, and we have the people, and it, it's not anything magic learning to code. Uh, it, it's just it's just about understanding some fundamentals, and once you do that, it, it becomes so much easier once you get that first job. Uh, to progress in the industry uh, but yeah, yeah um, do you know I, what do you know what will be coming soon mate they'll be like merging more job titles they've done DevOps now they've done <laughs> DevSecOps now they'll do you know like another one further down the line where they start bridging a couple of roles together as well <laughs> uh, don't scare me I'm going to end up having to be like Dev Marketing Sales Sec Ops person 
<laughs> it's coming. It's inevitable. Yeah. Um, that. Yeah. It, it, it is coming. The more strings you have uh, to, to your bow, um, the the better. So uh, it's definitely a good idea to get some exposure to to, to multiple areas and uh, both both your own personal development, but also as well for um, for opportunities down the line as stuff. DevSecOps is a huge trend recently, so it's definitely worth uh, keeping in mind. And every dev should learn about security. Uh, lest you have an absolute catastrophe on your hands. Uh, yes. So, yeah. Um, cool. So I get uh, that. That was the main questions I, I had for you. Did you have any questions that you were curious about asking me about um, anything to do with sort of recruitment to, to the engineering side of things? Yeah. I mean, in terms of you know yourself, how's how's the last few years been? I mean, obviously people would want to know, hear it from the horse's mouth, right? You've done recruitment, you've been on the sales side, you're now on the, the software side and you're now doing pretty well from from the outside looking in. So it's obviously worked out well for you, assuming it has worked out well for you and you're not pining to get back to recruitment. <laughs> not at the moment, but you never know. No. You never know. Um, I do still really enjoy being part of the recruitment process. Like That's something that will never leave me. And uh, it, that, that is a lot of fun. I've just started a new role, so I haven't been fully stuck into it, uh, my new role yet. But yeah, it, it is... Um, it's interesting. It's been a change of scene, and like I would never tell anyone not to get into the sales and recruitment side of things. Uh, learning how to speak to people and how to meet expectations and deliver stuff for clients is one of the most important interpersonal skills uh, that anyone can have. Particularly if you're like a new grad, then you can you can uh, you can get a lot from any kind of sales or recruitment role. So it it, it was a really interesting transition, and I've been amazed how much. Uh, I've had to use the people skills in terms of being a dev. I thought I would be sort of quietly tapping away all day, but it's yeah. actually surprisingly not the case about how much you're meeting internal client expectations and that kind of thing. So it still scratches the itch and it's been an interesting but rewarding kind of uh, transformation um, and transition. So uh, I was able to kind of bridge it for like a year. Uh, I was quite a, I, I kind of blagged my way into doing four days recruiting, one day engineering for a company for a while. Um, so I was quite lucky in that respect. Not, yeah. not everyone. Yeah. I turned on my sort of like Del Boy a little bit. When the interview. <laughs> Everybody needs a bit of Del Boy in them. Yeah. Every recruiter has got a bit of Del Boy in them, even if he becomes a software engineer. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Sometimes so. a bit too much Del Boy in the recruitment industry. <laughs> yeah. That's why we love it. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, so, so that, that, that's been, um, yeah, that's been my experience being, being a positive one, but uh, you know, just cause I left the industry doesn't mean I wouldn't discourage people to, to go into it and the world um, really needs great recruiters. So, um, you know, I'm positive about it and recruitment technology is, is going to be very interesting to see down, uh, down the line, how people can use it because there's often an idea of people being replaced by robots. I don't necessarily think that's true. I just think it's um, technology will allow people to do their jobs more effectively. And, and I'll be interested to see how recruiters are able to leverage uh, improve it, um, improved AI and, and uh, generally just technology down, uh, down, down the line. So, yeah, it's a long answer, but yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the whole robots thing as well, that's something that I'm really passionate about because if you think about it, when you're in sales or when you're in that kind of that sales mold and you think about it, whatever you're selling, whether it's, um, you know, a product, whether it's a service, whether it's, you know, people skills, whatever, people are the only thing you're ever going to sell that has the ability to change its mind like that with no reason whatsoever. So robots can never detect that. So you're always going to need that interpersonal side. Everyone loves going for a coffee or a beer. You can't do that yeah. with a robot. So <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> not, certainly not yet anyway. And uh, automation yeah. is great to create a funnel, but 
particularly doing 360 recruitment. I think really uh, talking about automation, it will be one of the last, you know, the model might change somewhat, but um, I think taking the person out of it is going to be very challenging um, at any point. You know, you might rely on a web platform of some kind to connect the candidates, but either way, you're going to have to have an agent in in there dealing with things. Like people have a uh, utopia sort of vision of maybe like a Tinder-esque app where you swipe left, swipe right on a job, but there's been i'm not going to name the app but there has been apps like that and you know they're not they're not like billion dollar apps because exactly as you say people are irrational uh like that's the first lesson of like consumer and behavioral economics is uh people are not rational and we love yeah. them for it but yeah <laughs> well, when you think about covid as well right people's the whole mental uh mentality behind you know, people wanted to get out, people wanted to communicate, people wanted to meet their friends and family. It's the same in sales, you know, you still want to have that human interaction. Imagine being locked away and only communicating with a robot about your future career aspirations and your motivations and then trying to negotiate a pay rise, but then the recruiter is doing that for you and leveraging it in a way where the client gets what they want, candidate gets what they want. You know, you'll lose all of that. So I definitely don't feel like in my lifetime, I need, I've got to worry about robots yeah. taking over my job. <laughs> and absolutely. And, you know, uh, any engineers listening, that is uh, a big advantage. I'm not sure we actually did touch on is the fact that if you do work with an external recruiter as your partner, they can negotiate a better deal for you. And it's a win-win because they, they get a higher fee, you get more salary um, and you can, you can spend it on going out to the pub afterwards to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> with the recruiter that placed you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And then even better, you can get the recruiter's company to pay for it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> hope my CEO is not listening. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. Um, yeah. Well, it's been uh, it's been really great, Joe, and uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's great to great to have you on, and uh, looking forward to hopefully doing it again sometime. And um, yeah, but pl- please, uh, please, please do uh, get in touch with Joe if you're if you're listening, Joe. Do you, do you have kind of the best ways to get in, in touch with you if you're looking for uh, for roles in the industry? Yeah, certainly LinkedIn is the best. So it's Joe Bignall. You can find me working at Interquest Group. Definitely contact me there. Or the email is joe.bignall at interquestgroup.com. Yeah, I'd be happy to hear from it. And thanks for, for you today, Cam, as well. I really appreciate it. I think what you're doing is pretty cool, bridging that gap between you know sales, recruitment, and, and first jobs into the software industry. I don't, I don't think there's anything out there like it. So I appreciate you joining me. Oh, well, yeah. Thanks very much for coming. And uh, I'll put all the details in the description so uh, everyone can check it out. But again, thanks for tuning in. If you've, if you've made it this far, we really appreciate it. Um, please check out the, uh, the Code of Career uh, website, which uh, hopefully is launched by now, uh, and the YouTube channel as well. But in, until then, uh, thanks very much. Uh, this has been Cam Blackwood with the Code of Career. Cheers. Cheers.